Chapter 10 of The Romance of Modern Astronomy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Romance of Modern Astronomy by Hector McPherson. Chapter 10 Jupiter, the Giant Planet. Once in about every thirteen months, there reaches the meridian at midnight one of the most brilliant objects in the sky. Rising about sunset in the east, it gradually ascends until it is due south at midnight and in opposition to the sun. For some time after opposition, it is the most brilliant object in the night skies and as such commands the attention of even the most casual of stargazers. For Jupiter so far outshines all the stars in its vicinity that there can be no doubt in identifying the great planet. It reigns supreme, shining with a steady light, not so soft as that of Venus, but sharper and more sparkling. As Flammarion remarks, quote, When Jupiter shines among the stars of the silent night, and when our gaze is fixed on him, who would suppose, while admiring this simple luminous point, that it is an enormous and massive globe, weighing over three hundred times more than the planet which we inhabit, and of which the colossal volume exceeds by nearly thirteen hundred times that of the earth? We have our eyes fixed on him, his light is so vivid that it casts a shadow like that of Venus, but we do not guess the marvelous grandeur of this distant body. Unquote. Of all the planets, Jupiter is the easiest to observe telescopically. The smallest instrument will show that it is a planet with a round disk and will give us a glimpse of the four satellites of the planet discovered by Galileo in 1610, over 300 years ago. Great must have been the delight and wonder of the great Italian astronomer when pointing his newly constructed telescope to Jupiter for the first time, he beheld the luminous point of light transformed into a flat disk with four little points of light circling around it. A two-inch telescope gives a very striking view of the planet. On a clear night, such an instrument enables us to see on the disk two or three parallel strokes, as it were. This is our first glimpse of the famous belts of Jupiter, which were first discovered after the time of Galileo. It requires a much larger instrument to bring out the principal features of the belts. With a good telescope, we may view what an American astronomer thus vividly describes, quote, Belts of reddish clouds many thousands of miles across are stretched along on either side of the equator of the great planet. The equatorial belt itself, brilliantly lemon-hued or sometimes ruddy, is diversified with white globular and balloon-shaped masses, which almost recall the appearance of summer cloud domes hovering over a terrestrial landscape, while towards the poles shadowy expanses of gradually deepening blue or blue-gray suggest the comparative coolness of those regions which lie always under a low sun." Unquote. The belts are not permanent markings, they are belts of cloud, and as such are continually changing. Still, they are not so fleeting as the clouds in our own atmosphere. Some of the Jovian features, indeed, are more or less permanent. Chief among these must be mentioned an object known as the Great Red Spot. It was first noticed by a number of observers in the summer of 1878 and described by them as a pale pinkish oval spot. In 1879, it became much more prominent. The pinkish hue gave place to brick red, while the entire object extended 30,000 miles from east to west and 7,000 from north to south. The area of the spot was no less than 200 million square miles, greater than the area of the entire terrestrial globe, 
For three years, the spot was a brilliant object, the most prominent feature on the globe of Jupiter, lying immediately south of the great equatorial belt of the planet. Then it began to fade, and an observation by Rico at Palermo in 1883 was thought to be the last. But in a short time it revived and again became the most prominent object on the planet's disk. Again it faded considerably, but it is still visible, a permanent feature of Jupiter's disk. This marvelous spot has for many years attracted the attention of astronomers all over the world. Many speculations have been made as to its nature, and it is difficult to ascertain the exact cause of the appearance in a cloudy atmosphere of a permanent feature lasting so many years. Mr. W. F. Denning, one of the most devoted observers of the planet, gives as his opinion, quote, that it represents an opening in the atmosphere of Jupiter through which in 1878 through 82 we saw the dense red vapors of his lower strata, if not his actual surface itself. Its lighter tint in recent years is probably due to the filling in of the cavity by the encroachment of durable clouds in the vicinity, unquote. Another remarkable fact in connection with the spot was ascertained by the American astronomer Professor Barnard. One of the most interesting features of the great spot, he said, quote, was the repulsion it seemed to exert upon adjacent markings on the planet. For a time it was surrounded by a sea of light that completely circled it for a distance of three or four thousand miles, and which appeared as a visible barrier against the approach of any spot or marking, unquote. Observations on various spots and belts many years ago revealed the fact that Jupiter rotated on its axis in a little under 10 hours. The most exact determination fixes the rotation period at 9 hours 55 minutes 36.56 seconds. Thus, Jupiter's day is very much shorter than that of the Earth, notwithstanding the size of the mighty planet. The curious point, however, about the rotation of Jupiter as ascertained from observations on the red spot and other markings, is that, like the Sun, its rotation is not uniform. According to one astronomer, no fewer than nine different rotation periods are found. There is not much difference, it is true, between the various periods, but this difference gives rise to curious results. Some bright spots round about the equator actually overtake the red spot at the rate of 260 miles an hour. All these facts go to prove that in Jupiter we have a world of a different type from the four inner planets. In the case of Mars, for instance, we see the actual surface of the planet. The markings may change in accordance with the seasons, but they are always to be seen, and the rotation period derived from them is constant and unchanging. In the case of Jupiter, we never see the actual surface. A remarkable thick atmosphere enshrouds the planet, an atmosphere quite unlike our own. We cannot compare the Jovian markings to our terrestrial clouds. A cloud on the Earth is a fleeting thing. It does not last for days, still less for 32 years. The red spot in Jupiter's atmosphere has been seen since 1878. It is quite obvious, therefore, that Jupiter is a body of quite a different order from our own world. In many ways, it resembles the Sun more than the smaller planets. Indeed, in 1879, Bredikhine of Moscow observed on the Jovian disk a group of faculae similar to those of the Sun. Some astronomers believe that the markings on Jupiter, like those on the Sun, are regulated by an 11-year period, but this is not absolutely certain. At all events, observations of Jupiter during the last 50 years have abundantly shown that it resembles the Sun more than the Earth. It used to be believed that the atmosphere was something similar to our own, 
but much more dense, and that the cloud belts were analogous to the trade winds on our planet. But the impossibility of this view was long since demonstrated. The clouds on the Earth are raised by sun heat. Jupiter is at a much greater distance from the sun than the Earth is, and yet it possesses an atmosphere much more dense and cloudy than ours. The explanation is obvious. Jupiter is very much larger than the Earth. It is a world in a state of chaos, quote, without form and void, unquote. It is in a condition of great heat, so that the vapors, instead of settling on the surface in the form of oceans, are boiled off the fiery surface, as it were, and kept suspended in the atmosphere in the form of dense cloud masses. Jupiter seems to be in a very primitive condition, somewhat similar to Saturn, and probably Uranus and Neptune, and it throws an interesting sidelight on the previous condition of our own world. For some time, astronomers believed Jupiter to be slightly self-luminous, but this view has not been confirmed. The planet probably gives out an appreciable quantity of heat, but it is likely that its days of shining by its own light are ended. Very probably, the surface is only now becoming solidified, and enormous volcanic disturbances are of daily occurrence in the semi-liquid planet. Of course, this is but speculation, for the atmosphere is so dense that it is quite impossible to see it. From the surface of the planet, whether it is a solid or a semi-liquid surface, no glimpse of the outer universe is visible. Supposing, however, that an observer on Jupiter could see through the cloud belts, the Earth would be hardly visible, being only seen with difficulty in the vicinity of the sun. At night, says a famous astronomer, quote, the spectacle of the sky seen from Jupiter is, with reference to the constellations, the same as that which we see from the Earth. There, as here, shine Orion, the Great Bear, Pegasus, Andromeda, Gemini, and all the other constellations, as well as the diamonds of our sky. The 390 millions of miles which separate us from Jupiter in no way alter the celestial perspectives. The most curious spectacle of this sky is unquestionably the spectacle of the four moons, unquote. To these moons, Jupiter acts as a miniature sun, giving out an appreciable amount of heat as well as reflecting the heat of the sun. Jupiter is attended by no fewer than eight satellites, four large and four small. The discovery of the four large satellites was one of the greatest in the history of astronomy. In 1610, Galileo at Padua turned the newly invented telescope on Jupiter and discovered that the giant planet was surrounded by four satellites. The discovery was hailed with great joy by the supporters of the Copernican system. Here was a miniature of the solar system disclosed by Galileo's telescope, which ought to convince even the most skeptical. But the opponents of the new system would not be convinced and regarded the discoverer with very unfriendly feelings. One Italian student refused to look through the telescope lest he should see the satellites. Another consented to observe Jupiter and was immediately convinced that the satellites existed, while a third declared that even though he saw the satellites through the telescope, he would not believe in them, declaring that they were in the telescope and not in the sky. The four satellites are sometimes known by the name of Io, Europa, Ganymede, and Callisto, though they are more frequently designated by the numerals 1, 2, 3, and 4. The nearest satellite, Io, revolves round Jupiter in one day, 18 hours, 27 minutes, at a mean distance of 261,000 miles. Its diameter measures about 2,500 miles. 
The second satellite, Europa, the smallest of the four, with a diameter of 2,100 miles, revolves round the primary in three days, 13 hours, 13 minutes, at a mean distance of 415,000 miles. The third moon, Ganymede, is the largest of the four, its diameter measuring 3,550 miles. It is therefore larger than the planet Mercury. It moves round Jupiter in seven days, three hours, 42 minutes, at a mean distance of 664,000 miles. Callisto, the fourth satellite, with a diameter of 2,960 miles, revolves round the primary at a mean distance of 1,167,000 miles in 16 days, 16 hours, 32 minutes. These satellites are among the easiest objects of observation to the amateur astronomer. The smallest telescopes will show them, and they are a source of never-ending pleasure. They may be seen sometimes in transit across the disk of Jupiter, while sometimes we are able to witness their immersion into the shadow of the giant planet and consequent eclipses, while at times we see Jupiter's disk pass over one or more of the satellites and obscure them from view. This phenomenon is known technically as occultation. A small telescope will not show surface markings on the disks of the satellites. Even with the largest and best instruments, astronomers have learned little of the constitution of these moons. As to size, the two largest are of planetary bulk and dimensions. The four satellites combined form one six-thousandth part of the mass of Jupiter, and their volumes form one seven-thousand-six-hundredth part of the volume of the giant planet. Hence we see that while three of the satellites are absolutely larger than our moon, all four are, in comparison to Jupiter's bulk, relatively much smaller bodies. The satellites seen from Jupiter's surface cover an area of the sky larger than the area filled by our moon, but they are much less brilliantly illuminated, owing to the much greater distance of the Jovian system from the sun. The total amount of light reflected from all four satellites at once is only one-sixteenth of that reflected by the full moon as seen from the surface of the Earth. For over 280 years, the system of Jupiter was regarded as complete. The four satellites had been known for a long period. Their motions had been carefully calculated. In fact, astronomers were thoroughly acquainted with all the details of the Jovian system. Great was the surprise among astronomers when, in September 1892, it was announced that an American astronomer had discovered a fifth satellite. On the ninth of that month, Professor Barnard, while observing Jupiter with the great telescope of the Lick Observatory in California, detected a minute speck of light near the planet. A series of observations proved that this was indeed a new satellite of Jupiter, closer to the planet than any of the other moons. It revolves round Jupiter in 11 hours, 57 minutes, at a mean distance of 112,000 miles. It is very much smaller than the other satellites, for its diameter is little over a hundred miles. In 1905, two other satellites of Jupiter were discovered by Professor Perrine at the same observatory. Both of these minute objects were discovered by the aid of the photographic plate. The sixth satellite revolves round Jupiter in 242 days at a mean distance of 6,968,000 miles. The seventh satellite is slightly closer to the planet, round which it moves in 200 days at a mean distance of 6,136,000 miles. Early in 1908 came the announcement of the discovery of another satellite. The eighth moon, also very small and faint, 
was discovered by Mr. Mellowed, assistant at the Royal Observatory, Greenwich, with the aid of photography. It is at a much greater distance from the planet than the other satellites and revolves round Jupiter in the opposite direction. In astronomical language, its motion, instead of being direct, is retrograde. In this respect, the most distant satellite of Jupiter resembles the most distant satellite of Saturn, as will be explained in the next chapter. It is quite possible that there may be other satellites still undiscovered. The system of Jupiter is as interesting as it is beautiful. So far as is known at present, the planet has eight satellites, four of almost planetary dimensions, four of what may be called asteroidal size. The system is more beautiful and complex than Galileo and the early astronomers imagined. As to the possibility of life in the Jovian system, the reader will have to be able to judge from the physical condition of the planet that no life akin to life as we know it can possibly exist at the present moment, that it may be inhabited at some future time when the cloud belts roll away and the vapors settle on the surface as oceans is quite possible. Some astronomers believe that the satellites are likely to be inhabited, and certainly the four larger moons seem the more likely bodies in the Jovian system on whose surfaces life may exist. To these moons, Jupiter will be a semi-sun radiating, if little or no inherent light, at least a vast amount of inherent heat. But of the actual surfaces of the satellites, we know practically nothing. Marvelous and complex as is the system of Jupiter, it is simple compared to that of Saturn, to the consideration of which the next chapter is devoted. End of chapter 10